This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Miami started the year 1-0 with a convincing, nice little win against Bethune-Cookman. Time to turn the page and uh, step up the competition level to Southern Miss, who is uh, coming off a tough 29-27 Lost to Liberty, went four overtimes. Uh, um, we'll get into we'll get into Southern Miss a little bit later in the podcast. This is the Southern Miss preview uh, podcast. Uh, but I got my man Gabby Rutia here, and Gabby, where I want to start this podcast today, we didn't touch on it uh, in our wrap up. Uh, put Bethune Cookman game to bed podcast, uh, but I think it's worth touching on. We don't do much big picture stuff, honestly, here. College football, we kind of stay in the weeds. I guess that's our little niche. Um, But I do think it's worth discussing uh, the college football playoff expansion that is going to come. Uh, You know, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows it's basically been approved uh, that the college football playoff will expand from four to 12 teams. you know, when is that going to happen? I think the preference would be 2024. I think there's some things to, to still iron out before we can assume that would happen. 2025 might be a safer uh, expectation, but at the latest, I think it's going to be, I mean, 2026 is kind of when the new contract goes into place anyways, but they are efforting to to get it done before 2026. Um, so. Let's just get into a conversation here, Gabby. Um, what are your thoughts on college football playoff expansion? Do you like it for the sport in general? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've never really been a huge college football expansionist. You know, I mean, again, I just feel like, I mean, I grew up loving just the idea of bowl games. And I thought, I always thought those were cool and I thought they mattered, um, you know, and I feel, I do feel like in a way sometimes like, if it's just always about the playoff, then and then nothing outside of the playoff really matters. And so I feel like for some of those reasons, I was never a huge, I don't know, I was never all on board on expanding the playoff like to a whole ton, just because I do think that there was value and something to play for when you're playing some of those big major matchups. But um, it is what it is, and I feel like I'm a silver lining guy. So, uh, you know, I can definitely see, uh, you know, the intrigue of a 12-team playoff and uh you know, I, I can I could I can get on board and I like that they're gonna play some of these things at home sites and all that type of stuff. So overall, you know, if you asked me two weeks ago, I'd probably say no. Um, but now that it's happening, you know, I'm not kind of I'm not really fighting it within myself. I agree that, you know, I I think it's fair to say that the regular season. Uh, you know, those big time matchups that happen in the regular season, you know, it's gonna, it's not going to matter as much, of course, you know, if a number three team plays another, a number two team in the regular season, you know, there might not be college football playoff implications on the line because those two teams are probably in no matter what. Right. I think that's fair to say. I don't think it lessens it so much though that it's going to totally diminish the regular season. And to me, that's a bit of a straw man argument that's out there. I kind of look at it 
honestly, on the flip side in that I think it's going to make, well, first off, let me just say, I'm a fan of it. I think, I think it's going to be fun. I think the, the, a 12-team college football playoff has the potential to be the best playoff in sports. And so if that's a trade-off, you know, you lessen the importance of some high, high, high-end regular season matchups, but you trade that in for what could potentially be the best playoff in sports if, like you said, I mean, it does look like that round one is going to be played on college campuses, which is insane. I think it's insanely cool. Yeah. They should do that for round two as well. I think that's still getting figured out, but come on, let's not overthink this. Do that for yeah. round two as well. Um, to me, it does bring more fans into the tent. You know what I mean? Like, uh, instead of talking about seven-ish, eight-ish teams that can be in the college football playoff, I think when you have 12 teams, that that list expands to how, like, 25, 30. Um, I think it does make conference championship games matter even more. Yeah. I think, you know, most college, you know, of course, there's a win and you're in element um, with those uh, conference championships. So, um, you know, I, I think I get it. Like we don't, a lot of people resist change and and evolution. And, you know, there's a, there's kind of a back in my day sentiment with like, Oh, I missed when we voted for our champions rather than determined on the field, determined (laughs) it on the field. Then it's like, oh, I missed the computer metrics that determined who would play for the championship. Then it's like, oh, and now it's like, oh, I I prefer the committee that decides the four best and they duke it out. I would argue that each evolution of the sport in terms of determining the champion has made the sport better. And I think that's only going to happen. I think this is going to be the biggest jump and growth of making this sport better as a whole. Is it going to change necessarily like who the champions are going to be? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, not necessarily, but I do think it's going to bring more fans into the tent. You know, college football to me is like, it's like the best inside joke in sports, you know, like if you really dive in and throw yourself into this wacky, awesome college football experience, uh, it's very rewarding. And I think some teams or some fan bases do get turned off that, you know, in terms of like mattering on a national level, it's really just Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and then your random fourth team, Clemson, Oklahoma, et cetera. Um, I think there's something to, you know, if UCF earns an automatic bid and they get to host a college football playoff game. That's going to be that fan's basis Super Bowl. Right. And that in itself, that game in itself is going to be good enough for that fan base. That experience is going to be cool in itself. They don't necessarily have to go and win the national championship against Alabama three or four games down the road. Right. So I think we can measure success differently and uh, grow the game. I think this is an opportunity to grow the game and um, you know, round one college football playoffs. Like just think about this too. The third best sec team, you know, whoever it is, let's say it's uh, Texas A&M. Let's say Texas A&M has to go on the road to like Wisconsin in December. That would be kind of wild go figure out those elements. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm very excited about the potential of the college football playoff. Now, hopefully the organizers don't screw everything up and make it a mess and like make it about the bowl system. And, Oh, you know, we got to play these quarterfinal games in neutral site NFL stadiums. Like, nah, let's lean into these on-campus game experiences that could make it awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I I really do get it. I mean, I think it could be really, really cool. And like a situation like that where like a school from the South has to go play like 
a Wisconsin. Awesome. Yeah. Like that would be something like really interesting. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the dynamic of it is, is really, really enticing, right? Like, yeah, I, I could see a situation where I like the idea that, you know, if you're a conference champion, you like, a, you know, a power five conference champion, mm-hmm. you you have a chance to play for a national championship, which I feel like is fair in a lot of instances, you know, but it's kind of like going back to what you said, does this change the, 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 you know, the championship landscape? Like it's really feels like it's going to be maybe a couple schools uh, that right. get to that point. And like, I don't know, I feel like my only counter would be is how, uh, how long are some programs? Cause it feels like, you know, it's a lot, it's all a lot of the same four teams or at least a lot of the same mm-hmm. three teams. I feel like it's kind of maybe kind of similar going to be, you know, a good chunk of the same 12 teams, a lot of the good major programs, like how fun is it going to be to kind of, you know, maybe get past that first round running into the buzzsaw of one of those top four teams. And then it's just like, all right, how often, how much can we win that first game, run into an Alabama or Georgia, get beat by them and then be like, okay, like at what point do we just get kind of tired of seeing that? Fair. I mean, I do think the buzzsaw element of those top four teams could be a thing. Um, especially in the beginning of this college football, like the, the expanded college football playoff, I think, and, and maybe this is just wishful thinking, I'll admit that, but I think the combination of college football playoff expansion, NIL and transfer portal can not level the playing field. I'm not saying that that's, that's too extreme, but you know, can can that combination of three things allow teams like a Miami, a USC, a Florida, a Texas to pick off? Because at the end of the day, this all comes back to recruiting. Uh, can, can those programs that are looking to make that jump into the college football playoff, can they pick off one or two top 50 players that the last decade have been going to Georgia, Ohio. And that's all it takes. Like you, you do that over time, like over a four year stretch. If Miami, USC, Florida, Texas start picking off, you know, two guys, a cycle that typically would have gone to those other schools. That's when the, the, the playing field starts to be leveled a little bit. Um, and you can sell college football playoff. Now, if you're like a Miami, right. You know, so I do think there's an element of things. I, it, the sport has become so top heavy. And, yeah. and if you are a fan of an Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, you should be against college football expansion because this model is great for you. Um, but if we're talking about what's great for the sport, I think, I think things can get leveled out. And also too, to your buzzsaw point again, yes, that's going to happen. Like we all know that G5 teams just don't have the personnel by and large to match up with good P5 teams. But to me, that experience of a G5 team making a playoff is about hosting a playoff game on your campus. If you go out and win that round one game, like they could go out and win that round one game. Yeah. Um, If they do that again, that is like a Super Bowl moment a championship moment for that program. And then, yeah, you go get smacked around by uh, Alabama a little bit. But to me, that still makes the, I mean, the NCAA tournament in basketball, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's still what? Primarily the eight best team, the the eight same teams that compete for a championship in that sport. But we still celebrate the NCAA tournament for those early round games when every now and then some crazy stuff happens. So um, I still think some crazy stuff could happen in the early rounds of those of a potential college football playoff. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I, I think there's definitely room for that. I do think the basketball thing and the football thing is a little bit, I mean, I think it obviously just completely different sports and yeah and different ways that a game can turn out um but yeah no again i mean i agree I, again i could i see all of that i think there's a lot of greatness to it um you know so i i and again I, I think we i mean just kind of maybe pivoting to the miami perspective i think you nailed it where if you're miami and you know you're on the recruiting trail um i'm just going to throw this name out as an example like if, if you're talking to a brandon innis type who's like okay i want to go to ohio state 
because, you know, I could potentially win a national championship there. I think if you're Mario Cristobal with this college football playoff expansion, you can go, you can go to a Brandon Innes and be like, Hey, you could have a chance to help play for a national there. championship too. Yeah. yeah. Like help us get there. You know, are we a top 12? If basically Miami's asking recruits, do you think we're a top 12 program? And I think the way that they're recruiting right now and the buzz around the program, I think that they could easily sell that they're a top 12 yes. program in the ACC and all that stuff. So even if they're not ready, quite ready to win the conference, I think you could still potentially be a fringe top 12 team. If you can get through your regular season, you know, pretty unscathed. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think for Miami, I think that's his college perfect. football. Yeah. I think, I think it lines up perfectly with Miami we I mean Mario Cristobal was asked about it on Monday during his press conference yeah, yeah. he seems all on board of, uh, uh, about it exactly and I think that says everything that Miami fans uh, need to really know about it or how to feel about it because uh, it seems like he believes that this program is in position to be a part of this and I think if you're one of these programs who have tr truly have the potential to be a part of this you have to be really excited about how the way that this could help you on the recruiting trail when it comes to acquiring talent and look like kind of going back to what you said earlier too if if it helps Miami keep one or two guys home a cycle or grab or bring in one or two more guys that maybe would have gone elsewhere if they can grab one or two or more of those big big time talents I mean that is that how you, yeah that matters a lot you know? one or so, two uh, game changers is a big deal every yeah. cycle you know what I mean like that's what wins that's the difference between winning games uh like championship games like you could argue uh when you know, Florida State having Dalvin Cook and Miami not having Dalvin Cook totally swung those games, right? Dalvin Cook dominated Miami in, in those matchups. If he was simply wearing a Miami jersey, Miami probably wins those games, right? That's just one guy. That's just yeah. how it goes. Um, I want to go back to this too. I want to highlight an athletic article. So on the in the athletic, they went back since 1998, which is the BCS era, right? When they were essentially ranking teams uh, at the end of a season to go play for a championship. So they got the BCS data. And then once the BCS was over, they, they looked to the college football playoff data, right? So that's since 1998. Um, they basically charted who would have made playoffs in every season uh, during that stretch. Guess how many schools from 1998 to 2021 would have made at least one playoff appearance according to the athletic in that article. So how many unique schools? Yes. Wow. Um, I'll go 32. 66. Wow. Okay. I know. That's really interesting, right? Yeah, it's a lot. Here's some of the schools that would have had a college football playoff experience. Western Michigan in 2016. Okay. Corey Davis. Tulane in 1998. Wow. Miami of Ohio in 2003. Memphis in 2019. Kansas. Remember Kansas had that wow. random good oh, year? That random good year. 2007. Okay. Here, this would be a sick round one game. Hawaii in 2007. Imagine Hawaii hosting. Is that Colt Brennan? That's what and... I mean. Yeah, I think so. Wow, that would um, be interesting, bro. Coastal Carolina, 2020. Mm -hmm. Indiana, 2020. So I think this system does welcome more teams to the playoff than we realize. Um, Boise would have had a hell of a run. I think Boise could have potentially built a powerhouse. Here's the thing. Right. Here, so that brings me to my next point. Who do you think would have made the playoff more during that span? So 1998 to, to 2021. Clemson or Boise State? I think Boise State. Boise State had an unbelievable run. Clemson, you're correct. Clemson or Wisconsin? I'm going to guess Wisconsin if you're yep. bringing Yeah. Clemson or Oregon? In that span? Oregon? Yeah. So Clemson would have made it seven times, Boise State eight times, Wisconsin eight times, Oregon ten times. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you put it in this frame, like how does that change? Let's say if it was in place for that long, how does that change what college football even looks like today? Like. Correct. How much does that change the way Wisconsin recruits on a year to year basis or the way Boise State recruit and then for conference realignment and all that stuff is Boise State 
a part of the Pac-12 right now, if you know, or something like that, uh, a restruct a different Pac-12 where they're also a competitor out there. Maybe USC, UCLA doesn't leave, don't leave. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, but I mean, I could, I can definitely see how you know if this was in place long term, how that would it, it could have potentially impacted the sport, you know, tremendously too. They also said, like according to this athletic article, which I would encourage everyone to go check out. There's 11 current Power Five teams that would not have earned a bid. But with that being said, most of those teams were like, for some years, they were right on the cusp of, of that 12th spot. So Boston College in 2007 was 14th. Duke in 2013 was 24th. So not that close, but Kentucky 2018, 14th. Like these hunts for these schools yeah. would be crazy fun. The hunt for, those. for, the, the hunt for the, those last playoff spots would be like, It'd kind of be like first four in, last four out, like like how they do like the the fringe, like for the March Madness bracketology or whatever. Like that would be a really really fun race for those last few spots. Minnesota thirteenth, NC State eighteenth, Northwestern thirteenth, Purdue fourteenth, Rutgers sixteenth. The only one like even Wake Forest like fourteenth in two thousand six. Vanderbilt was one that just never was inside the top twenty five. That's like the only Power Five school. So, you know. Look, consistent college football playoff appearances. Yeah, of course. Like we know who those teams are going to be. But, at, you know, every school, frankly, has a magical season in which they're going to be in the hunt. And if they make it in, that alone is a big deal for that school. I think that should be celebrated. And if we don't understand that as a fan base or as fans of college football, um, you know, I think we're missing the boat from a Miami perspective. They would have made it six times. Okay. They would have made it in 2017. Most yeah, recently. Sure. Um, so, and from a Miami perspective, of course, that 2000 team would have gotten in and would yeah. have done some serious damage. Probably would have um, won another national championship. Probably. So um, I'm a fan of it. Also to uh, pay the players, please. Like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. the numbers are insane. Uh, so right now, the college football, and the, this is a four-team playoff. So, of course, when you expand the games, you get more money. Uh, right now, the college football playoff annually commands, people estimate, $600 million a year. This new college football playoff, the 12-team, is estimated to be at least $2 billion. Some project 2.2 billion. Wow. So, and, and honestly, too, I think four times as much. Yeah. I think that's like, look, I think the ACC is going to have to be creative with their, their revenue sharing. Um, I think it's a matter of time before there's uneven revenue sharing within the league. And I think that's going to also extend to the college football playoff. So if Miami can get to that college football playoff level, that will just mean more money for yeah. Miami. Um, so I think it's, it's a way to try and I don't know if you can close the gap being in the ACC uh, compared to the big 10 and sec, but can you be more competitive if you're making the college football playoff? Like that's something that uh, the ACC is going to have to figure out yeah. in time. I- I think one last one final yeah. thought for me on it is I think it also keeps a lot like obviously the opt out things are kind of have gone kind of ridiculous uh, with yeah, players like electing not to play. Yeah, play, pay them. And then I think this college football playoff, at least for those top 12 teams, I think it keeps it highly competitive and everyone kind of on board to be like, all right, we're playing for this. So I think that that's exciting, too. So we're not watching some of these high profile matchups and it's like, hey, right. star pass rushers training for the, the NFL combine right now. So he's not playing. I don't think we'll be seeing. Hopefully. Hopefully we won't be seeing any, I hope anything like that. I think it's going to happen uh, a little bit. And, uh, right. Yeah. But they, they have to address it if they don't yeah. want it to become a thing. Like yeah. you're saying. Um, all right. Let's transition a little bit to Southern Miss. Um, so Southern Miss, again, lost uh, 29-27 and four overtimes to Liberty. Who's a, you know, Liberty's been a good uh, G5 program here recently under uh, Hugh Freeze making the jump up to division one, et cetera, et cetera, or sorry, FBS. Um, Southern Miss is coached by Will Hall. This is his second season 
at Southern Miss. They went two and ten last year. Rough year uh, for Southern Miss last year at the quarterback position, uh, sustaining a ton of injuries, etc. Um, and we'll get into this more, but basically at the end of last year, they were running what was what they uh, what they called the superback, which is essentially the wildcat look with Frank Gore Jr. Um, of course, the or not of course, but unfortunately, the bad luck for Will Hall continued into this season with their starting quarterback Tyke sustaining pretty vicious hit to the chin. Yeah, um, pretty textbook targeting call, knocking him out of the game in concussion protocol. Uh, so they had to turn to the uh, super back again in the second half of the game. And quite frankly, Gabby, they, they took a good Liberty program to four overtimes, which I think is impressive considering the context of how that game went. Southern Miss had five turnovers on offense, starting quarterback gets knocked out. Um, so, and, and also to Will Hall, uh, this is his first time coaching as a head coach at the FBS level, but he did have division two success at West Georgia and West Alabama and previous to, uh, Southern Miss, he was the offensive coordinator at Tulane. So he's a highly respected offensive mind. I'm pretty sure Gabby that he interviewed with Mario back after the 2019 season when Mario was looking for an offensive coordinator that off season, uh, he ended up hiring Joe Moorhead, but we all know like Mario does very extensive interviews. And frankly, I think he uses those sessions as scouting report opportunities to learn, learn from good coaches, learn what they do. Cause you never know if you're going to have to face them or, someone from their coaching tree. I mean, that's what Nick Saban does too. And, you know, Mario Cristobal is kind of following that Nick Saban model. So he does know Will Hall pretty well because of that interview process. Um, but let's just start with our Southern Miss discussion about them offensively. What, in, you know, we both went, went back and watched the Liberty game. I think we'll, we'll just say this on the front end. I think it's fair to read the tea leaves and expect Ty Keys to not play this this week as he's still working through the concussion protocol. Um, I think, I mean, the uh, coach Will Hall has said that Zach Wilkie, who's a true freshman, uh, has been getting plenty of reps this week in practice. So I think he's probably going to be the guy. Um, but I think we're also going to see a heavy dose of Frank Gore Jr. Yeah, no, I think we're definitely going to see. I, I think it's going to be a, a lot of Frank Gore Jr. I think even just hearing Kevin Steele, Mario Cristobal talk this uh, this week after practice, it sounds like they're expecting the ball to be in number three's hands plenty. Um, yeah, I mean, they they definitely went a ton of super back after they lost Ty Keys. I don't think that they were fully prepared to put in uh you know, Zach Wilkie. Um, I think they brought in low, uh, the, I think I believe he was a West Virginia transfer. They brought him in briefly. He throws an interception on his first pass. attempt. Rough. I think, I think that they were over that. And I think he's actually started some games for them last year if he wasn't their primary starter. So I think they kind of have an idea of what they have in him. So, um, if it's not the true freshman, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if we saw low just because of the experience and it, and Miami being, you know, obviously a power five opponent. Um, and then, yeah, I think we could see, I think we're going to see a lot of runs. You know, I think they got Frank Gore Jr. They have a couple other backs that they like to put the balls in their hands. And, uh, you know, again, I don't think it's the ideal offense they want to run, but I think it's kind of what they have right now based on their personnel. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what the approach is with, a, you know, a program like Miami and, uh, you know, obviously the, you know, it being a, just a different level of a caliber of opponent and how they're going to choose to kind of go about the ball. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to maybe chunk their way out of it, sh uh, you know, shorten up the game a little bit uh, through the ground right. and maybe just try to move the sticks. And, you know, obviously Miami struggled a little bit with a mobile quarterback. Let's see if maybe they try to test them, test out their contain with Frank Gore back there or another one of those guys who can move around. Yeah, I, 
For me, I wouldn't expect as many super back looks this week as we saw in the second half of the game against Liberty. I think it, my read on that, and I think Coach uh, Will Hall said this after the game too, they were doing that basically because they could see as the game progressed that those super back looks were working against Liberty. And so they just stuck with it because yeah. it, you know, it was basically this is what we got to do to win this game. So we're going to do it. I think this week we're going to see more traditional quarterback play out there. And I think it's going to be Zach Wilkie, the true freshman. Um, but we are going to see super back looks. And I would expect more wrinkles in the super back looks this week compared to last week because they have all week to prepare for them, if that well, makes sense. Yeah, no. And I think even watching early in that in the Liberty game, I mean, they had some like wing T looks with Ty Key and, and some of the backs too. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that's obviously something that you have to really prepare for as a defense. And, you know, I think that's a way that you can just cause misdirection and, you know, cause some confusion and all those types of things. And I think if you're Southern Miss is playing in a game like this without your quarterback, do you try to implement some of that a little bit more just to maybe try to catch Miami, uh, you know, on their toes or whatever it is. And again, it's obviously a part of their package because it was something that they ran a little bit pretty early on in the game. So I think that that could be something interesting to watch out for as well. So Zach Wilkie, the freshman quarterback, he's uh, 6'3", 195. He totaled over 8,000 yards and 60 touchdowns at the high school level in Mississippi. He was uh, regarded as the top quarterback in the state of Mississippi for last cycle. I went back and watched some of his uh, highlights at the high school level, Gabby. He does have he does have a big arm to push it downfield. He looks comfortable in the rollout game, um, you know, throwing the ball outside the pocket. But, you know. He's a true freshman. I think ideally he wouldn't be playing in this game. And like any freshman quarterback making his first start, I think speed of the game is going to be the big thing he's going to have to try and adjust to. Uh, you know, so it's in a tough spot. Will Hall did say, though, that he, he I guess, has a track record of being willing to start true freshman at quarterback. He said he's had five true freshman all-conference players uh, at quarterback in his career, you know, at his various uh, coaching stops. So he's not afraid to make that move. It's just, it's a tough spot. I think Zach Wilkie is going to be a, a very good quarterback for them down the road. It's just, you know, starting against a power five defense like Miami, going to be tough. Um, Frank Gore Jr., What's what's your thoughts on him after watching him against Liberty a little bit? Yeah, I mean, he, he he's a ball player, man. I feel like he's a he's definitely a physical runner. I think he has good vision. I think he has good balance. I think like that 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 long uh, touchdown run he had, the way he kind of tight rope the sideline uh, with some pressure on him, I thought was really impressive to stay in balance and kind of just like you know kind of walk that line. I thought was uh I thought was pretty big time. And again, he seems like a willing a willing guy that he, you know, he kind of wants the ball in his hands. He's kind of willing to run through contact. And again, I think he does a good job of finding space and, and kind of hitting gaps hard. And, you know, he's a, I, I think if you're looking at group of five backs, I mean, I think he's the yeah, type of guy nice. I kind of want on my roster. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I think he, he definitely, you know, can play. And, you know, I think if, I think Miami's game plan is going to be probably shutting him down. Cause I think you kind of take the life out of, Frank Gore Jr. in that offense, I think you're going to do, I think you're going to be pretty okay with, uh, you know, whatever it else, whatever else they want to do. Cause I it feels like he's kind of the heartbeat of where that offense goes. Yeah. He's not the biggest, fastest no. guy, but he's quick. He has good vision, like you said. And, and I think his contact balance is, is impressive too. Um, and he's gonna, he's gonna come into this game with a chip on his shoulder, obviously. Uh, yeah. Homecoming game. Homecoming game against the school his dad was a baller for i'm sure he's going and i mean look this is just me opining i would love it if this was a little bit of an audition for him like we let's let's get frank gore jr on the hurricanes this offseason wow i was like thinking i was like thinking that but i didn't know if that was okay to say it but like i, I feel care. like I, I was i was watching that game and i was just like he should there... he should be at um Right. Like, I feel like if we're talking transfer portal, you know, target, not again, like 
You know, if you're kind of just doing an early look, we're like, not hey, reporting anything. Right. Exactly. We just a hundred percent opinion based, like yeah. just kind of looking at the way the running back situations played out. Like how much would Miami love to have Frank Gore Jr. on their roster right now? And uh, the way Mario Cristobal kind of talked him up in that pregame uh, mm-hmm. on Monday, when it, I was just, it sounded to me like, Hey, again, this is not us reporting anything, but it sounds like if the opportunity were to come up, um, it sounds like something that they would definitely probably explore. And I don't know. I think they should explore. He's good enough to be on this roster. Yeah, He's good 100%. enough to have a role on this team, yeah, this team right now. So, you know, again, that's just us opining. And one is it'd be a cool story is what we're getting at. Right. Like Frank Gore Jr. Finishes career at Miami. A good I think player. That- should be at Miami. You know what I mean? So what are we doing? And it feels like in this era of college football, it almost seems like, I I don't want to say likely, but seems like something that can definitely happen. Like not, not far-fetched or unrealistic. Get this man a life wallet. He already might be. Is he? I think he, I think he might. Yeah. I think he He was definitely at some of like the immortals tryouts when like, at the immortals tryouts, when like John Ruiz announced like the whole thing, like Frank Gore Jr. was definitely there. So get this man's life wallet in Miami. Yeah, no, and his life wallet's got to be in Miami. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Got to figure something out there. Wide receiver. Um, I think they got some guys there now. Yeah. Of course, the the guys delivering these pass catchers the ball. We'll see how that goes. But Jason Brownlee, nice nice guy. He he's six three two two ten. Um, made a nice little contested catch early in the game before Tykees was injured and went out. You know, if Southern Miss can get the ball out to these pass catchers, I think they're good enough to make some plays. Um, and then offensive line, kind of a beefy group for for a G five offensive line. Uh, going from left to right tackle, you go six five three seventy three. 64317 64317 63293 they went uh, three of 12 on third, and then they went for it a couple times on fourth down, did not convert either of those opportunities. So, uh, you know, they got to get some things figured out on that critical down. Anything else on offense you want to add with them? Yeah, I think they struggled a little bit in the red zone, too. I think they had two fumbles um, yeah. in the red zone. Uh, so I think those some of those short yardage packages, I feel like they just had trouble converting. And then, you know, they turned the ball over five times, which I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but uh, yeah. seems like there's going to be opportunity for the defense if they can just, you know, attack the football. Defensively. Southern Miss has a nice little G5 defense here, yeah. and, and they're coordinated by Austin Armstrong, who is one of the younger coordinators in, at the FBS level. I think he's like 28, 29. Last year, he was definitely the youngest. I don't know if if that's still the case this year. I would assume so, but I just don't know. Um, he runs a fun defense to watch in terms of they're mainly a three down front, but they'll go four down every now and then. They have different blitz packages. They will blitz on first and second down. Like they'll mix it up too on what downs they throw blitzes at you, which is refreshing because, you know, just being the blitz defense on third down only, you know, it's, it's kind of, you kind of, everyone knows it's coming. Um, but yeah, they, basically they look to generate havoc plays. And last week, what they had 11 tackles for loss, I think three picks. Is that right? Um, so they are disruptive. What was your impressions of them defensively? Yeah, no, I think the different looks were were pretty, you know, interesting. I think they I think they brought a lot of pressure. I think they brought pressure in a lot of different ways. You know, I don't think they're afraid to send some of the corners or even like the nickels in or blitz safeties. Uh, I like the way they use number 46, Avery Havis. He's kind of like their stand up edge guy when, in, in their three down front and they'll, you know, flip flop him on on a few other sides. I thought he was pretty productive for them. And uh you know, I think they got a couple good linebackers in number nine. I think it's Malik Shorts, and uh, they have another kid, Latham, who made a few plays too. So, um, you know, I think they got they definitely got some guys. And uh, you know, again, I, th- I think they're pretty creative with the way that uh, 
that they use them all. And so I think I thought it was a pretty fun G5 defense to watch. Dave, you mentioned Liberty's a good program. I mean, they've been one of the more exciting offenses with, with right. Hugh Freeze uh, the past few years, uh, you know, with Malik Willis, obviously last year and uh, had a couple other good quarterbacks in years past. And they're typically a, a, a team that just throws up points. That just puts up a ton of points. And I, I think, you know, I think it was a 10, three at the half, you know, they did a really good job kind of securing them down and, they're obviously implementing new quarterbacks and all that stuff, but I thought that uh, I thought that Southern Miss defense was was at least pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I think they're good up the middle. Um, yeah. I to me, their defensive tackles flashed in that game. Number ninety six, yeah. Jalen Williams. He's a guy. I guess he took last year off, but he's a transfer from Arkansas. He's six six three three ten. Moves. I mean, he's pretty athletic. G five D tackle. Then they have number 95, Quentin Bivens. He's an old Miss transfer, uh, about the same size, 6'3", 3'10 ish. And then they, you mentioned their veteran linebackers, and then Malik Shorts is a safety, you know, so they kind of got that spine of the defense in a good spot. And, uh, you know, to me, they, they play well coming downhill. I feel like they did well uh, uh, getting knocked back when Liberty was trying to do some stretch runs. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch from a Miami perspective this week. Um, and yeah, they play a lot of coverage games in the secondary. Uh, coming into the year, you know, Tyler mentioned to me at ACC Media Days that one thing he really worked on this offseason was, uh, you know, understanding pre-snap what's going to be coming from defenses, then post-snap what coverages can do uh, to mess with you after the ball is snapped. So... This is a game where we could see growth in that area from Tyler. Um, and I think it's a nice little tune-up in that regard to this Texas A&M game that's coming up in week three. Um, but yeah, defensively, they're, they're strong. I mean, Austin Armstrong is from that Billy Napier tree. That's their defensive coordinator. Uh, he was with him at Louisiana, uh, what, two years ago, I guess. So... He's highly respected guy, creative defensive coordinator, and uh, his guys play hard, play downhill. So they're going to frustrate Miami on some drives, uh, but you know, personnel-wise, Miami should should be able to overwhelm them during the course of the game. But anything else on the defense? No, I think that's that's pretty good for me. Let's uh, let's take a break, and then on the other side, we will discuss this game kind of from a Miami perspective. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, we are back. Gabby, just want to highlight some of the injury update type stuff. Uh, so Zion Nelson, Jalen Knighton, Logan Sagapolo look like they're going to be available this week. They they were going through full practice. It looked like, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal is ever going to straight up tell us. Um, but he kind of hinted that, yeah, those those guys probably will get worked in at some point into the rotation. It's also worth noting, I think, Leonard Taylor, Ja'Kai Clark, who sustained some injuries during the game, uh, during the Bethune-Cookman game. They appear to be good to go as well. They were fully dressed out, moving around fine uh, for the portion of Tuesday's practice that we could get eyes on. Uh, but I want to start this conversation here, Gabby. What do you expect the integration of Zion Nelson, Jalen Knight, and Logan to look like? Let's start with Zion Nelson. How do you expect that to go? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you start him necessarily, but I think if you can get him like, you know, 15 snaps, I think that that would be solid. I don't think he needs to play the full game. Maybe you want him to. I agree. 
but I don't think you, I don't think that's something you really need to do. I think you just want to make sure he's kind of, you know, he gets some live reps in, which I think would be really important against an opponent, obviously. Um, again, yeah, I think the line is, it's not like he's a detrimental loss, right? Like I feel like the line's been, you know, John Campbell's filled in nicely there. I don't think you have to push it too far. So with Zion, I think you just kind of throw him in there, make sure he gets some looks, you know, gets his feet wet before obviously a huge matchup against Texas A&M where you're going to need him. So the next question with that, and I agree with you, you know, I think 20 ish snaps, like get them in there. Um, So when they do that, what would you then do with John Campbell? Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like this is going to be super interesting. I'm kind of curious about how that goes. I don't know. Maybe I, I I love Jalen Rivers at left guard. I think maybe you just kind of throw John Campbell to the right side. Um, Not sure if that's just like a seamless transition, just kind of knowing that he's kind of been primarily focused at that left tackle spot. Um, Not sure. I don't know if that's something that maybe they work with him on this week, but I mean, I feel like he's a tackle type body. Like I feel like he's a tackle body. I think you want him on the outside and uh, you know, maybe he can replace justice all with Sean as the right guard or however you want to do that. But I mean, I kind of want, I kind of want John Campbell playing tackle for me. Yeah, I want to see that cool. look. Like, I think you just it's like what you talk about. Find your best five, right? I think if you yeah. I think John Campbell is a part of your is. best five. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe you kick DJ Scaife inside or, you know, let DJ Scaife and just just a little Sean battle it out at that right guard, guard spot, uh, you know, this week and see what kind of comes out of it. But I think you got to feel good about that top six. And I think there's something to just playing your best players. I think I don't think that's something Mario Cristobal's. Right not going to do, you know, it feels like that's who he is. So right. I definitely expect John Campbell to be a part of that five. I think it's just going to be interesting to see where. I think it would be a missed opportunity if they did not see what that looks like in a live game. Like yeah. when you bring in Zion, um, you know, whenever that is in the game, eventually let's see what John Campbell looks like at right tackle. Or if you think, You'd prefer him at guard. Let's see what that looks like too. I think it's a game where let's see you, you put it on tape and you evaluate from there because you're right. Like I think John Campbell is one of the five best. So you have to effort to really feel like that is the case. And I hope that they give those looks, you know, we, I don't know if that's the best five. I think it is. Um, but you got to go find out, I think. Um, let's stay on the O-line. Logan Sagapolo, do you think he gets rotated in? I do, eventually. I mean, I think he does somehow, but I don't know if it's like, you know, early in the game or something. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they kind of, they tried to keep that core, at least in the Bethune-Cookman game for a lot of time. I feel like even yeah. just going through the snap counts, it felt like the one position that didn't rotate that much was the offensive line. I think... Uh, you know, Jonathan Dennis was probably one of the earlier like that subs, was because of injury, and that yeah. was just because of injury, right? So, how when does Logan Sagapolo get into the game? Is he the sixth or seventh guy? I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. He could, if he is, then maybe they feel more comfortable rotating. Um, and then, however, whoever it is between just uh, Ola Sean or DJ Scaife that maybe gets left out, how often do they mix in too? So, um. Yeah, I mean, I could see him maybe getting some snap, but I also think we're going to see some continuity from that yes. those front five because I think they want to build that, right? I think you Absolutely. want those five to always be on the same page. So I think there's something to keeping those guys intact. Agreed. I'm speaking to like third, late third, yeah. fourth quarter. Yeah, I know. think that's a fair time we'll see to Logan. see him. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think so. And if the score is open, I would expect to see a few of those other guys as well, like, you know, some of the younger guys that we saw in the, in the opener. Jalen Knighton. I think this is an interesting one because you want to get him in the game. You want to get him reps, but you also need him for Texas A&M. And he's been dealing with a hamstring deal for what the last month or so. Yeah. What, I don't, what do you want to see there? I mean, I feel like he, I feel like he can't be any more than like the third leading carrier, right? Like I don't want him touching the ball a ton of times. I think you want to mix him in but I don't want to see him get beat up in this game either. You know, I feel like you want to get him in his touches and in space where he can just kind of run, where he doesn't have to like absorb a ton of contact. I mean, obviously you're going to get hit at running back, but I think you kind of put him in positions where he can just kind of do what he does. And, you know, I think Henry Parrish and Thad Franklin did a good job of, 
of what they did. And I don't think you have to overdo it with Jalen Knighton. Again, I don't think it's a matter of necessity with him. I don't think it's like yeah. you need Jalen Knighton in the game to win this game. So, you know, I think you want to let him get hit a little bit and you want to like, you know, have him just kind of start getting a little feel for being integrated back in, but I don't want to do too much with him at all. So yeah. um, just kind of see where it goes and maybe a few touches, you know, five, six touches here or there. And they just kind of be like, all right, good, good, good showing. Let's see what you got next weekend. Yeah, it's more important to have him available fully healthy or as healthy as possible for the Texas A&M game than it is to get him, you know, 75 rushing yards in this game, in my opinion. So have him ready. Get him some work, but have him ready for Texas A&M. Matchup to watch when Miami's on offense. What do you get? What, what interests you about, you know, Southern Miss versus Miami when Miami's on offense? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably going to go with something that you kind of highlighted earlier. I think it's just kind of like, how does Tyler Van Dyke react to maybe some of the looks that this Southern Miss defense is going to kind of throw at him? Um, Texas A&M runs a three man front, right? Like, I feel like it's a, I feel like it could be a not maybe not similar, but you know I think it's it's going to be a at least a base that you know he'll obviously see uh, again next weekend. So I think I want to see how uh, Tyler Van Dyke kind of responds to just you know maybe just some of the looks Southern Miss's defense gives him. I want to see him obviously you know get going in the pass. I want to see the passing game get going. Obviously, I think that's something we all want to see. But you know just kind of want to see him play another clean game and uh, you know yeah. just kind of want to see him pick apart you know a defense that it, I think is going to be again pretty creative with some looks. And I think uh, you know that that young DC is definitely going to try to confuse him. So right. uh, if if Tyler Van Dyke responds to that, I would be pretty encouraged. Right, and, and the the thing with that too is you know when you're aggressive on defense, it also makes you susceptible in some areas when the quarterback slash offensive coordinator know where to go with the ball against those looks. So there's going to be some big play opportunities. I think Tyler's going to be fine. Um, But, you know, last week against Bethune was just like easy work. Like that was, you know, not much resistance in that game. This game's going to be a little more, it's, Again, it's a nice buildup for Texas a and For sure. This, the schedule is a nice buildup for that. So I'm with you. It'll be a nice little tune-up for Tyler going against a tricky defense. For me, I kind of hinted at this uh, with highlighting Southern Miss's defensive tackles, but I, I want to see, and I'm saying this in relation to the Texas A&M game. It's not necessarily like, you know, Miami has to do this to beat Southern Miss. But uh, to me, Southern Miss has some decent defensive tackles, some decent linebackers that can go downhill, get you behind the line of scrimmage every now and then. And, um, you know, I want to see this offensive line be able to generate some push on the inside. You know, in these SEC matchups, you got to be able to run the ball a little bit on the inside. You got to push these SEC defensive lines a little bit uh, in order to sustain some success. And to me, Gabby, this is like the type of game last year where Miami's offensive line wouldn't generate any type of push in the run game. And it would be very frustrating to watch. I expect it to be different this year, uh, but it needs to show up because to me, I mean, that's, that's a key against Texas A&M. Like you got to be able to run the ball consistently inside run three yards a pop that's like bare minimum you have to be able to do that so that has to show up this week um, against southern miss what about when miami's on defense what's a matchup that intrigues you yeah i think it's going to be maybe just keeping i mean i don't know if it's just like a a matchup but i guess you know, my, whatever Miami's defensive ends, linebackers, I guess, just against the running backs. I mean, just how I, I think to me, it's just stopping the run game, you know, like whoever's involved with that. So, I mean, obviously I want to see the linebackers get involved with that, be more physical. And then, you know, defensive ends, I guess, against the offensive tackles, keeping contain and, or just a setting, you know, setting the edge and, you know, just really just kind of collapsing that pocket and, you know, just kind of making things really, really difficult to whoever it is that's taking snaps 
for Southern Miss because I think obviously stopping the run is going to be a big part in stopping Southern Miss. And again, you kind of want to, I kind of want to see some of those pass rushers get going or just continue to kind of get going because again, we're, it's not even about beating Southern Miss. It's about what they're going to do against Texas A&M. So, you know, we kind of want to see some of those guys just emerge and start, you know, popping off off the edge. Yeah. And similarly with that Texas A&M mindset, um, again, this is not like, I'm worried that Southern Miss is going to do this, exploit this matchup, and go win the game. But when I'm looking ahead to Texas A&M, I think the cornerback play that we saw against Bethune-Cookman has to be much improved. Yeah, And Southern Miss has a pretty good group of five level wide receiver, Jason Brownlee. That's a 6'3", 210-pound contested catch guy that quite frankly is good enough to play at the power five level. And quite frankly, I mean, I don't, I, I think it's, a, he, you could make the argument that Jason Brownlee is the best outside receiver in this game, uh, yeah. which, which kind of speaks more to what Miami has at that spot, blah, blah, blah. But uh, he's going to have some opportunities to make plays downfield. I need to see, the Miami cornerbacks do a better job of having tight coverage um, against the Southern Miss receivers compared to what we saw against Bethune-Cookman. Um, again, I don't think Bethune-Cookman is going to go out and throw the ball around and get 300 yards passing, but big play opportunities will be there. And I want to see how this Miami secondary does when those opportunities arise. All right, Gabby, what's the biggest thing you want to see from this game and why from a Miami perspective? Yeah, I don't know. Again, I think just the way Southern Miss kind of was loose with the football, I kind of want to see them attack it. I kind of want to see the defense take the ball away. Um, again, I think that's something in the season preview pod we talked about, just, you know, the interception numbers. And I'm not, I don't even know if I'm talking specifically about interceptions, but I just kind of want to see this defense swarm, attack the football and, and, you know, give the offense a few more opportunities. And again, I think it's about, I think it could be kind of a confidence game going into, into Texas A&M. And uh, obviously it's going to be a big time atmosphere, uh, you know, offense with a lot of weapons. And I want that defense kind of riding a high going into that. So I want to see them just kind of be really aggressive and, and, you know, just kind of play a, a, a physical brand of football where, you know, they are forcing a few fumbles or, or, you know, capitalizing on, you know, when the ball's on the ground and things like that. And again, I think Southern Miss was pretty loose with it. So, uh, you know, again, I kind of just want to see the defense take, take that next step. And the cliche goes the biggest improvements from week one to week two. So I want to see the Let's way go. that this, uh, I want to see the way that this defense kind of just attacks and swarms. And I'm hoping for a pretty big performance from them. Yeah. What I want to see just from this game is I want to see this coaching staff do work. I want to see this coaching staff. Like show, flex a little bit. Not even like that. Not, not even like schematic stuff. I'm talking about like personnel usage. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is a game where the staff needs to try and find answers to potential problems that showed up against Bethune-Cookman and will really show up against Texas A&M if they are not addressed. And, and to me, that's primarily with what we saw defensively against Bethune. You know, the linebacker play, when they have to play in space or show some athleticism, what, you know, what are the solutions there if those issues pop up again against Southern Miss? The cornerback play needs to be tighter. I touched on that earlier. Um, the quarterback contain, you know, you, you touched on that. The quarterback contain game needs to be better too. Um, this, is, this is a real coaching staff, right? This coaching staff is the real deal. And to me, that means you self-evaluate and make moves relative to the talent you are playing against. You should give you should give players an opportunity to play their way out of mistakes or or their issues. But if those same issues show up again the next week, to me it's time to make some moves. You can't just blindly trust that oh a guy's going to figure it out. And, and to me that was one of the most frustrating things about the previous regime. Um, 
you'd see issues in a game like against a Bethune-Cookman type opponent. And when those issues were brought up, the previous regime would just kind of point to the scoreboard and be like, everything's fine. We'll figure it out. We won 70 to 13. Yeah. Real coaching staffs know and understand that, uh, you know, playing against Texas A&M and playing against Bethune-Cookman is a totally different sport. Like it's not going to be comparable at all. And so if you're having issues against a Bethune type opponent, you got to find answers to those issues quickly because Texas A&M's right around the corner. So I just want to see that they're, again, you give guys a chance to play their way out of mistakes. But if guys keep making the same mistakes, it's time to find answers elsewhere. And so that's in a big picture sense, what I will be watching for in this Southern Miss game. You know, if, if the cornerback play ain't up to snuff, they got plenty of bodies on this roster. Put them in a, put one of those other guys in a position to go show what they got. Linebacker Mario Cristobal basically told the media on Monday, like we are doing everything we can to get Wesley, the saint ready as quickly as possible. And the reason why he's saying that is because Wesley Bessaint has an athletic skill set that most of the other linebackers on this team don't have. So they're, they're trying to get guys ready. Um, And so I'm curious to see what differences or what, what moves are made from a snap count perspective um, from week one to week two. I don't know. Is that too harsh? No, no. I think that's, I think that's super fair. Yeah. And I think that's, that's definitely something to, to look out for. I do. I want to see too, like, is there anyone that maybe didn't play as many snaps in week one that are going to get a a bump in week two or anyone that's gonna, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of evaluated that first game. And if anyone else gets, if someone else gets an opportunity in week two now that, that, you know, maybe didn't get as much of uh, as big of a workload in, in week one. So I think that that's definitely something uh, to look out for as well. Go find answers because, again, Bethune Cookman and Texas A&M and Mario knows this. Like he's he's a big time coach, but like it's a totally different ball game comparing Bethune Cookman and Texas A&M. So you can't just point to the scoreboard and say, "Oh, we're fine." And I'm not saying Mario did that, but um, you got to find answers. Uh, Let's do some over unders that I made up, but I think they're interesting. Yeah. Wide receiver Keyshawn Smith didn't have any targets in week one. Conservative game plan. We get it. We don't like it, but we can understand it. I would assume that's not going to be the case this week against Southern Miss because, again, as we are building up to Texas A&M, you're going to have to find a receiver that can make some plays against. I mean, these are going to be legitimate DBs, but again, talking too much about Texas A&M. Uh, this week, Gabby, Keyshawn Smith, I've set the target number at seven and a half. Would you go over or under that? I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go under. Okay. What number would you guess? I think maybe like, I'm going to go like five targets, four catches or something like that. Like, I don't know if we're going to see like any dramatic increase. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I hope, I hope, I mean, I think the over would be a positive, but I, I just, I feel like I need to see it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I'd probably go under two, you know, seven's kind of high, but yeah. I do think there's something to like, I do think they're going to want to get Keyshawn going this week. Um, they definitely I, should. Yeah. So um, we'll see Tyler Van Dyke, two and a half t- passing touchdowns this week. <sighs> I might go, I don't know. I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I'll go, I'll go over. I'll say he throws three touchdowns. Okay. I'll go under. Um, Rooster, 10 and a half touches. So carries and or no, and receptions. Dang. I think I'm going to, wow. I'm I'm going to go under. Okay. How many touches do you expect for Rooster this week? I don't know. I could see like six to eight. I think it would, could be like a fair number. 
Get him a couple catches. Okay. I could see 11. Okay. You know? We'll see. When you include the the receptions, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see him getting three three receptions and like eight carries. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Score prediction. I think last I looked, the betting lines had Miami as a 25-point favorite. I think it opened as like a 27 and a half. So it's gone down. It's gone down some. Ooh. Uh, Vegas knows something? I don't know. Vegas always knows something. Vegas always knows. So, Gabby, what would be your score prediction going into this game and why? I'm going to go 38-10. I think that... I mean, I don't know. I feel like they're going to, I just feel like Southern Miss's offense is just going to be a little bit too one dimensional. I don't know that a freshman quarterback is going to be able to get things going. I mean, first game of your career uh, at a group of five program playing against Miami, a defensive line that really gets after it. I think they're going to rely heavily on the, on the running game. I think maybe they get into the end zone once. I don't know how much more after that. And then offensively, you know, I just, I just think Miami kind of, I think they're just going to do a good job. I mean, I mean, with Tyler Van Dyke there, I think he's going to good do a good job spraying it around. Obviously, Miami really balanced offense, and I was really encouraged about what I saw from the running backs and the push that the offensive line got. And so I think they're going to be able to move the ball pretty well and, uh, you know, have a nice little game. And, you know, this is a group of five opponent, and I've looked, I'm looking around the ACC, and I see what happens with, see what happened with East Carolina, with mm-hmm. Old Dominion, Appalachian State, and all the, you know, other ACC schools that have ran into some G5 opponents and struggled. So uh, not saying I'm nervous, obviously, but, uh, you know, anything can happen clearly in the ACC. So, but, you know, I think Miami's going to handle business, take care of things and uh, walk out with a pretty comfortable one. Yeah, I'll go. We're along similar lines. I'm going to go 41-10. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the game will be probably closer in the first half than than the fan base expects because I do think Southern Miss's defense is good for a group of five defense. Uh, but I, I think Miami will start pulling away in the third quarter and win fairly comfortably at the end of the day, 41, 10 solid days work, open up the passing game a little bit more. Um, and I do think the defense will clean up some of the issues. And like you were alluding to, it's tough. I mean, Southern Miss really is kind of fighting with one hand behind their back with their quarterback situation from an offensive standpoint. So they're a depleted team in that regard. Um, but that's football, uh, gladiator sport. So, uh, we will wrap it up there. So should be a fun game again, noon kickoff ACC network, uh, come out Miami fans come out to the game. Uh, show love show support to these 2022 miami hurricanes um i thought the bethune cookman show up show uh turnout was good for a bethune cookman game from my vantage point so let's keep that rolling against southern miss so uh appreciate everyone too who took advantage of our 75 percent off deal your support means the world to us until next time take care